Good to be with you, TC3. I was listening to that song, and there's that line in there, uh, all my life you have been faithful. And then, then the chorus, it goes into the chorus, because of that I'll sing of the goodness of God. And you get to experience the good of God, the goodness of God when you say yes to the things of God, is what I kept thinking about. My wife and I, we, we drove by the, the church on Friday night, we took a, a late night Jeep ride, 83 CJ7, no doors, no back window, let's, let's talk about that, uh, the goodness of God. And so we're, we're driving by here and, and the church was all lit up and, and I, I just said, man, it's been incredible to see this thing come up from the ground. It's been incredible to see it come up from the ground. And you know, the reason why you get to see things come up from the ground is because the people of God, the church, said yes. I mean, there was plenty of reason for us to say no because we had little to work with. Um, the, the financial challenge was large and, and a variety of excuses that you can make when um, you're afraid to move forward. And all of us, we have that in certain ways or dynamics in our, in our own life, but when you say yes to the things of God and you trust that God will be the provider of all things, then all of a sudden you get to see the faithfulness of God and then you get to go for more. You get to go for what's next and what's, what's bigger because the faith muscles have been exercised and now they've grown a little bit and now, now all of a sudden because you have a few wins under your belt, you see exactly what God can do and you start to rise above it and all of a sudden you start to make a bigger difference than you've ever made before. Now, again, that only happens when you say yes to the things of God. Jesus, this is the last one in this, in this series, Jesus is asking this question of the disciples. How much bread do you have? Now, if we were in the 70s, this would be a little bit of a different conversation. But he said to them, how much bread do you have? And this is on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then again, another miracle, Jesus fed the 4,000. And then the disciples are arguing, arguing over food. And Jesus said to them, hey, how, how much bread do you have? After you've seen all that I've done and, and all the miracles that I've worked out, uh, how much bread do you have? What do, I got, what do we got to work with here? And the answer to the question, if the disciples were thinking about it, is enough. Whatever is surrendered to Jesus, whatever little is surrendered to Jesus, is enough. And there's a few blessed people that if I asked you the question, uh, do you have enough, you would say yes. But most of us, we would say we need a little bit more. We're thinking about retirement, we're thinking about all the things we want to do with our life, we're thinking about the, the next house we want to move into, man, we could use a little bit more. But how we answer this question, do we have enough, really impacts how we live our life. It really impacts the faith muscles that we'll exercise that are very real, uh, in very real uh, world dynamics. And so I want to talk about a, a theology of inadequacy that seems to be prevalent in the world uh, versus uh, a theology of abundance, where you see God as your resource, where we see him as being able to do the impossible and being able to provide for things that are impossible and able to fuel visions that are way beyond our own dreams and expectations. But there is this 
vision or this, this theology of inadequacy. I don't have enough to work with, so therefore I need to conserve what I have. I'm not adequate enough, therefore, and this is a big one, I'm not adequate enough, therefore God must be calling somebody else to do the work. I see the work that needs to be done, but I'm not qualified to do the work that needs to be done. Listen, neither am I. I wouldn't choose me ever to do the job that I'm doing today. I don't need you to come out the door and pep talk me. I'm, I'm just being genuine with that. Like there are more qualified people to do what I do. There's always going to be someone that you're going to look at and go, man, they're better at this than I am. God should call them, use them. But listen, the stories in the text of Scripture, God always uses people that are dependent upon him to pull it off. And so if you're in that category, God just may want to be using you. God uses other people. Like we kind of take that, that, that weak perspective. God uses other people. Therefore, therefore, I don't need to get involved. Or in the church situation in particular, we could have said, well, God always provides for other, other, other works, but he doesn't provide for us. So therefore, God must not want us to have it, right? Or God must not want me to have more. Sometimes we settle for a level because we think God, God doesn't want us to have it or uh, that he doesn't want us to have more. And, and so therefore, it fuels this theology of inadequacy and we think that, man, we got to take care of ourselves. And what ultimately happens is this theology of inadequacy really is our, it's our picture of God. It's a picture of God. Our theology of inadequacy excuses away the opportunities that God places in front of us and it's the opportunities to be used by God. We excuse away, inactiv- we excuse away uh, our inactivity by saying things like, man, if I had more, I'd certainly give more. If that lottery ticket would ever pay off, I'd be a giver. If I was more, I would do more. And since I'm not, I won't do anything at all. And this is the, another one. When I get my world to where I want it to be, then I'll help you work on your world. Like that is, a, that is some kind of a secular theology, isn't it? Right? But in our actions and even our attitudes, sometimes we think like that. And here's the really sad part. We miss out, you miss out, and they miss out. Because we think God has called somebody else, or we forget that God supplies all of our needs according to his riches in glory. And I keep thinking, why not you? Why not you? We should ask that question, why not me? Why, why can't I be the one that God uses? Why can't I be the one that God sends into the house fire and solves some problems? Why can't I be the one that's an example of sacrificial giving? Why can't I be the example of someone who walks in character and, or integrity in my workplace? Why can't I be that person? Jesus is feeding the 4,000. His ministry is growing in popularity. People are coming by the droves to see Jesus, in the, in the book of Mark, it talks about this in Mark chapter 6. Uh, people are coming to see Jesus by the droves. He's doing things that they'd never seen anybody do before. He's healing the blind. He's opening up the ears of the deaf. He's releasing the tongue 
of the mute. And all kinds of diseases and infirmities and problems are getting solved by just a prayer that Jesus prays over people. And he's healing people with incurable health issues and his teaching. It's revolutionary, they've never heard it. He's taking outsiders that have been outside of the world of faith and he's bringing them into relationship with God. Crowds are amazed, people are gathering, and people are following Jesus. While all this is happening, Jesus models this rhythm, though, of rest. You see him after he ministers, he tries to escape and get away and recharge his batteries with God the Father. But in this particular instance, people are following him. Like he'll go out on the lake, they'll follow him around the lake. Because if you're at the Sea of Galilee, you can see on the other side. So if Jesus went out on the boat, they can see where he's going. And so they would just walk around the lake and then he would get there and then there would be the crowd again. Couldn't seem to, to get away. The crowd had been following Jesus for about three days and Jesus is kind and he, he, he continues to teach them clear into the evening. And then he says this in Mark chapter 8. About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. So he's talking, referring to the feeding of the 5,000. And he said, Jesus called his disciples together, and he told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days. They have nothing to eat. If I send them hungry, they'll faint along the way, for some of them have come a very long distance. And so if you're hearing that, and you're the disciples, Jesus is gathering you together, you're his team, and you're like, hey, he's like, hey, man. We got 4,000 people here. If they, we need to get them some food. This is a remote location, you know, and, and we need to take care of them. The disciples are all of a sudden feeling this weight. And the disciples are going, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. I didn't, we didn't sign up to be a, you know, a restaurant for 4,000 people out in the middle of nowhere. Like, how are you supposed to solve this problem? The disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Now, think about this. Think about your response. If Jesus called you to feed 4,000 people along with your, your buddies, and you're in a very remote location, like way out there in Okeechobee, some cow pasture somewhere, you and your buddies, Jesus, 4,000 people, he's like, hey, we need to feed them. Talk about a resource challenge. God frequently puts us in places where there are resource challenges, where his kids are dependent upon him so that the world can see how he comes through. Think about it. Go to the Old Testament. You got Moses who's going to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet at that point, biggest military army, and Moses is just stumbling up there going, hey, I want you to let the Israelites go. Just let them walk. Like, I'd say that's a bit of a resource challenge. He faces the Red Sea with the Egyptian army facing him or coming at him. Red Sea in front of him, Egyptian army behind him. That's a challenge. You look at, you look at the story of Joshua. Hey, I've given you the promised land. Go in. The Jordan is at flood stage. He's got to cross that thing, and then he's got to go into the promised land and take the strategic cities that are laid out. Look at the story of, of David and Goliath. Like, David's not seasoned in battle, and he goes up against Goliath, who's a giant, and also seasoned in battle. Talk about a resource challenge. Now, think about the resource challenges that you have. You think about the stories that are in the text of Scripture. It seems to me like you and I are perfect people that God could use. 
because God seems to always allow his kids to get down to nothing so that the world can see that he's up to something. And the journey is perplexing. Like as a, if you've gone on the ride with this church for a while, man, there's bends and twists along the way. There were times in the life of this church where, you know, the little church that could looked like it was going to be done. But the Lord, in only a way that he could, provided for us along the way. And when you go through that journey that's perplexing and difficult and hard and challenging and you ask all kinds of questions, you get on the other side of that journey, you understand how powerful the story is that you get to tell. And you understand how good God is and how faithful God is and how faithful he was along the way. The disciples had already witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They'd already participated in it. And so here we have this other opportunity. The only gospel, the only miracle recorded in all four gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples were there. They were delivering the food. So they'd seen what Jesus could do. The disciples seemed to forget the event entirely. In both cases, when Jesus is asking this question of them, how much bread do you have? The disciples feel this weight of solving a problem, and Jesus seems to be the one that puts the weight on them. And so some of us, we feel the weight of a challenge that is way, way more than we can handle, way bigger than, than we can accomplish. And Jesus is kind of allowing this to be in the text of Scripture so that we would know that we're not alone. Jesus asked the same basic question to the disciples, how much bread do you have? The disciples respond, seven loaves, they replied. Jesus isn't looking for a loaf count or a fish count. Like he's really kind of trying to draw an answer out of them. How much bread do you have? And the answer is enough. Jesus isn't looking for a fish count. He's looking for, he's looking for faith. He's looking for the disciples to connect the dots. And remember, oh, just a few days ago, like literally a few days ago, Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. The answer Jesus is looking for is plenty. Some wise-cracking disciples should have piped up at this time because they'd come off the feeding of the 5,000. Now they have seven loaves of bread to work with. Some wise-cracking disciples should have said, more than we had last time. And typically that's the case. Like as God moves you from faith to faith, from, from a growing experience to another growing experience, you usually have a little bit more to manage a little bit more to put at risk. And Jesus is looking for a theology of abundance. A theology of abundance says, listen, God is more than enough. God has been my provider. God is my provider now. And God will be my provider in the future. That's a theology of abundance. God is not just willing, but God is also able. God's always good. And God is always gracious. God is our resource. God provides abundantly for his people because when you go back to the feeding of the 5,000 and you go into the feeding of the 4,000, spoiler alert, like there's stuff left over in both instances. And usually that's the abundance that God pours out on his people. A theology of inadequacy believes there's never enough. God is withholding, so therefore I need to withhold. God helps only those who help themselves, so I better be the one who helps myself. It's, it, 
It's up to me, and if I don't, it won't. God provides abundantly for some people. He just doesn't seem to provide abundantly for me. That's the theology of inadequacy. And the question still remains is how much bread do you have, and how willing are you to put it in the hands of Jesus? What do we have that God can use? How could our... How could we use our time to best advance the kingdom of God? How can we be more generous? How can we use our our gifts that God has given us? How much bread do we have? And the temptation is always to say, not enough. Because the situation is so large. Think about your lifestyle. Think about the blessings that you have in your life right now. Like for me, I was talking to the Rooted, uh, the people that went through Rooted, and I, like when I signed up for the whole ministry gig, like I, I was like, I'm going to live in a van down by the river. That's just what happens. That's what pastors do. They live in vans down by the river. You have to be content with living in a van down by the river. I don't live in a van down by the river. Like the life that I have is much better than the life that I was signing up for. <laughs> and if you look at your own life, What God has done with your life in the context of the blessings that you have, material, spiritual, relational, physical, you're probably better off than you thought you would ever be in life. You're probably, if you think about it, more blessed than you deserve. Question, I'm just going to meddle a little bit. How many shoe options do you have? Like, think about that. That's not only a female problem. Like, that's a male problem, too. How many, how many pairs of shoes do you have? Does your pantry and your freezer provide you options? A chilling fact is that our garbage disposals eat better than most of the world. That's the truth. A chilling fact is, is that most of us have more TVs and, than we do bathrooms in our house, and so there's more poo coming in, then poo going out. Like, that's, that's the kind of blessed life that we have in our lives. Some of us are so blessed, we live in houses that we don't want people to go to because then they'll realize how blessed we actually are. And here's what I would say. Don't hide that house. Use it for the kingdom. Use it for the kingdom. Open a big fat life group up in that house. Let that be a party house that the Lord can use. Instead of a house that you, that you hide in, let it be a resource surrendered to the kingdom. God's a God of abundance. There's absolutely no reason why any of us should have a theology of inadequacy. Here's the thing to think about. Let's strive, this is what hit me this week, I want to strive to be the most generous person that I know. Let's strive to be the most generous people that we know. Carol and I, as we were driving to church, we were having this conversation about kind of some financial things, and and she threw out, well, one day is coming up, and one day to feed the world comes up in November where we give one one day of our our salary to an organization that helps feed uh, people around the world, kids around the world. And so she threw out the number that we gave last year, and me, quick math, I was like, wait a minute, we don't make that much a day. 
But then the conversation quickly turns to, it's a blessing to be able to give that much. We're not scaling back on that at all. Because God has been so good to us. And God continues to pour in as we continue to pour it out. And the consensus is that we'd rather give more because God seems to give us more when we do. I'm not someone who bangs the drum of theology that says you give one, you get 10, but I am someone who's seen the faithfulness of God. And when you're generous, God blesses. But a theology of inadequacy, it never rounds up. It typically goes to the penny or even less. And what I would also say is generosity is not about money. It's not about money. Generosity is not a certain amount of money that we give. Generosity is this spirit that invades us, that takes over every aspect of our life, that surrenders our gifts and our talents and everything that we have to the Lord and to his work. And here's what I know for sure. If you have a crowd of 4,000 people gathered together, there's probably more than seven loaves and a couple of fish there. Like, some of you, you're, you're preppers to a degree. Like, if you were going on a little bit of a journey, you were following Jesus, you would have a backpack full of beef jerky, you'd have cliff bars in there, you'd have all kinds of food in there because you were going on a little trek, right? And so are you telling me there's a crowd of 4,000 people there and there's not some overzealous mom who's made sure that her family's going to be fed for the next 10 days on a three-day journey? But yet we have seven loaves and a couple of fish that come back. Some people would eat the meal that Jesus would provide for them on that day, and they would carry their own scraps of food that they'd packed for the journey back home with them. And they'd never have the opportunity to tell a story of the lifetime where they were like, man, we just, we had a couple of loaves and we just, disciples needed it. So we just gave it up and like, wouldn't you know it? Like Jesus took that, multiplied that. And all of a sudden everybody had a buffet as a result of that. It was the coolest thing you'd ever seen in your life. And we got to be a part of that instead of the story of I lugged food there and I lugged food home. That's a theology of inadequacy. God isn't asking us to do what only he can do. God asks us to do what we can do. It's the little things that matter. The widow's might. Such an inspiring story where she gives from her heart everything that she has. The little things like mustard seed, faith that can move mountains. The, the little things. It's the boy who previously set the example by donating his lunch to Jesus and 5,000 people got fed. It's the, it's the little things. It's the good Samaritan who stops along the way when the religious leaders, they walk on by. It's the little things that matter. And one of the reasons kingdom efforts, they start out so small, is so that we all have the opportunity to be a part of it. We're not gonna solve the problems of the world probably, but we can start with our own community. We can start with our neighbor what we have now is enough to get started. So Jesus told the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, thanked them, broke them into pieces, gave them to the disciples to distribute to the crowd. A few small fish were surfaced at the time. Jesus prays over those, blesses those as well, and they began to distribute them as well. 
Mother Teresa uh, founded uh, this orphanage in Calcutta. They f- they feed, uh, they've fed millions of kids over the lifespan of that, of that orphanage that was founded. And she went into her superiors with this vision to start this orphanage in India. And they asked her, they said, well, what do you have to work with? She said, I have three pennies and a dream from God. And they, they looked back at her and they're like, you got three pennies and a dream from God. You need more than three pennies and a dream from God. I had a couple people come to me along the way in the journey of TC3 that kind of gave me that same kind of attitude. We don't have enough to do what you think God is calling us to do. I got three pennies and a vision from God. You can't build an orphanage with three pennies. With three pennies, you can't do anything is what she said, or they said. She said, I know. I know I can't do anything with just three pennies, but with God and three pennies, I can do anything. Whatever resource you have, God's the one who multiplies that and takes it to the next level. Instead of making excuses, let's start where we are with what we have. It's never been about our potential. It's always been about God's purpose. Stop worrying about how God is going to fulfill his purpose for your life. That's a problem that he gets to work through. God gets to figure out how all of these things are actually going to work out that he wants to get done through your life. God could have performed a miracle in this way. He could have just gone, listen, all of your bellies are now full. And they could have been fed. They could have been full. But instead, Jesus decides he's going to use people like you and me to do the miraculous. That's the beauty of it. If we have an abundant theology to allow us the opportunity to be involved in what Jesus is doing, they ate, so, they ate as much as they wanted, it said. Afterward, they picked up seven baskets of leftover food. Jesus sent them home after they've, they've eaten. Everybody told the story, but only a few told the story from a different perspective. They got to be involved with what Jesus was doing. I pray that TC3 would have this outbreak of an abundant theology. I pray that those of us that are possessed by a, by a theology of inadequacy, if it's in our hearts in any way, shape, or form, that the Holy Spirit would root that out through acts of irrational generosity. I pray that together we'd be able to tell stories of how God has come through for us along the way. How we surrendered just a little bit and God did a whole lot with that and it made a difference. We surrendered a little bit and deployed it into ministry and it made a difference because it mattered eternally. Let's not excuse away opportunity. Let's be quick to surrender what we have and let's remember what God has done. There is this follow-up teaching after the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. They, again, the question is posed in this specific argument. They're in the middle of the, the Sea of Galilee. They have this discussion about what little food that they have. And Jesus comes to them and he's like, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Have your eyes, you have eyes but you can't see. You have ears but you can't hear. Don't you remember anything at all. At the feeding of the 5,000, everyone got fed and there was leftovers. At the feeding of the 4,000, everyone got fed and there was leftovers. How quickly we forget. That's why 
in the Old Testament, they stacked up stones to tell stories. That's why they wrote scrolls of remembrance. That, that's why there are feasts and festivals in the, in the Jewish faith, because we forget too easily. This question, how much bread do you have, is for those of us that have this theology of inadequacy. And he ends the kind of teaching in chapter 8 of Mark, and he said these words, don't you understand yet? With that question being posed, I hope that all of us look back over the last few years, and we look at the miracles and blessings that God has provided along the way. Let's all of us strive to be the most generous people that we know. Let's not excuse away opportunity. Let's be quick to surrender what we have. Let's remember what God has done, and let's not be afraid to trust God with the resources that we have, whether it be a lot or little, because God is good and we can trust Him. There is this passage of Scripture that Paul closes out the book of Philippians with, and he says these words, my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. How you and I get taken care of, that's God's business. Another translation says it this way, this same God who takes care of me will also supply all of your needs. Let's all of us cling to an abundant theology and run from a theology of inadequacy.